thank you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. Good morning. I was really blessed by my dear friend sitting behind me after our three-week um, trip was announced. My dear friend said, must be nice. <laughs> and it is. I can't wait to leave. I'm so excited to leave. Uh, but we leave you in very good hands. Obviously, the Lord is chief shepherd of his church, and the elders here are, are great. And Andy and Adam have some excellent messages planned. Uh, I would encourage you to have stay vacation while I travel the world. Hey, uh, can we do uh, one thing? I'd love for us to stand and pray a minute, um, in particular, because we have a couple of things happening. First of all, uh, nine of our young people are up in Minneapolis this weekend uh, at kind of a discipleship weekend, and I want to uh, pray for them, for all of our young people. I'm thinking of teenagers and, you know, more or less. And uh, the Trunk or treat is a big thing. A lot of effort, a lot of candy has been donated. It's not a good idea to drop the candy off at the church because every time I walk past it, I'm very tempted. But I've resisted completely because I believe that that candy is going to be in the mouths of those who need to experience the grace of God. And so let's pray for those that we'll touch today, all right? Father in heaven, we thank you for your great love and your great grace. God, we thank you, Lord, because you're good to us. Lord, we've sang of the great accomplishment of the cross and redemption and forgiveness of sin. God, you've made us a people. Once we were not a people, but today we're here as a people of God. And God, this morning we pray um, these two things. First of all, that you would raise up our young people to be dynamic, passionate followers of Jesus. God, that they would know your word, they would love your word, they would travel at your word, it would mean something. It would not just be another opinion, but God, that your word would be life to those who are growing up amongst us, for all of us for sure, but God, for the young people in particular, our teenagers, God, help them, Lord, to experience the depth and the beauty and the power of your word and the intimacy and the fellowship and the power of your spirit. God, we pray that upon our young people. Even now, God, for our young people that aren't with us, that are maybe rebellious or apathetic. God, we call back the prodigal. God, we ask you for our children that have walked away, wandered away. Maybe some of them have run away. God, we call them back in the name of Jesus. God, we have your heart like the father who waited for his son to return. Not to condemn or to judge, but God, to love and to embrace and to um, elevate. God, we pray that for ours. God, we also pray for those trunk or treat today. God, those will come to our parking lot because it's a good, safe, clean Halloween event. God, we don't want to do Halloween. We want to do resurrection. God, we want to do born again. We, we don't want to do ghosts and goblins. We want to do life and liberty and joy in the Holy Spirit. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth. Lord, even in our parking lot as it is in heaven. And so, God, we pray for each and every person who will be coming and visiting us today. God, for whatever their motivations, God, we pray that you would touch their hearts. We pray that you would lead them to yourself. God, we offer ourselves as conduits, as as your hands and your feet and your mouth, God, to speak and to bless and to proclaim and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we know we're nothing without the power of your spirit. So, Lord, just breathe upon this place And Lord, our fellowship this afternoon, that it be powerful, that there be a testimony for the victory of King Jesus in our lives. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. You could be seated. I want to uh, uh, just turn your attention to 1 Peter this morning. As you know, we're going through a series on 1 Peter called A Living Hope, and Today we get to go through one of my favorite passages. As a young man, I I remember reading this passage and my mind being blown for some of the things that it said. 
I have to admit, as a, as a young man, I, I, didn't, I didn't know a lot about God, but I had been experiencing more and more of the love and the forgiveness and the grace of God in my life. I'd gotten filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit, and so I had this incredible joy and growing boldness in my heart. I wasn't always that way. When I was younger than that, an early teenager, I was more of a survivor type, kind of afraid and insecure, just trying to make my little patch of ground halfway livable. But when God got a hold of my life, as I know as God got a hold of your life, he sets us on a new path, right? The world doesn't seem so daunting anymore. As a matter of fact, we don't think simply in terms of surviving the world, we think of impacting the world. And as I grew in God and as I grew in his word and as the Holy Spirit began to have his way with me, verses like this, really began to have traction in my heart. I'm talking as like a 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old. And when I read them, things that meant so much to me back in the day, it brings that back to me. It revives those things. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, if you've been a Christian for a while, but there was something in those early days when you first came to Jesus that made a big difference to you. Bible verse or a person Maybe a Christian song, you hear that song, takes you back. Well, this is one of those verses for me. And so it's with great joy that I get to preach it today. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. I'll start in verse 7. The end of all things is near. I mean, any paragraph that starts with that sentence... You almost need that, like, that really almost, like, epic voice from the Lord of Ring, the Rings, right? The time of Middle Earth had come to an end. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God might be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forevermore. Amen. Isn't that stirring? I don't know. There's so many things in that. I want to start with the first phrase. I mean, the end of all things is near. What kind of a, who writes something like that? And there's there's several punch points I want to hit for you. Uh, I mean, there's, there, it's kind of a drawing in, like from earlier in, in the book of First Peter, he keeps talking about Christians, people that follow Jesus as foreigners in this land, as sojourners, as exiles. And so in some ways, when Peter kind of brings back that theme, he's reminding us that this is not our home. This will all end, and it won't be long. That the things that make up your life, the physical things and the people in your life and the the, the places and the the jobs and all of the the substance of what makes up life on planet earth will not always be as it is. Those things that you think are so important today will one day be gone in a blink of an eye. Peter is reminding the people of God that heaven is their home, not earth. This life is a pass-through. When you're young, it seems like a very long pass-through, right? You think, oh, you know, will this science class ever end, right? You thought that. Or will I ever be old enough to drive a car? Or when will I be free of my parents' tyranny? And it feels like it takes so long, right? As you get older, you realize, 
man, it's gone fast, right? Feels like you have less days left than you have already spent. Time and perspective are a strange thing because we're not always able to get our head around it. We don't know, is time traveling fast or is time traveling slow? Am I spending my life wisely or am I spending my life frivolously? When Peter says the end of all things is near, he's, he's like hitting that big old reset button on our perspective. That this life is not all that there is. That Christians, those who follow Christ, they're to fill their sails with the winds of heaven. Not trying to push ourselves forward with the stuff of earth. That for whatever victories, highs, or lows, failures that we experience on this earth, it's not all that there is. That our hearts are to be anchored in the age to come. Our hearts are to be anchored in eternity. And imagine that for people of Peter's time that were experiencing these persecutions. Things were going hard for them. They were not being loved in the marketplace. Family members were rejecting them because of their faith. Life was giving them a hard time. And Peter reminds them, even as life gives you a hard time, this is not where your roots are to go. Your roots are to go deep into Christ. Your, your experience of being born into the family of God, you've not been born with perishable seed. Things will grow up and die again. You have been born again with what? Imperishable seed. That your life and your future and all of your hope is anchored in the eternal word of God, Jesus Christ, who conquered the grave and who has gone before us, our older brother. And so he reminds them, you need to change your perspective. I mean, perspective change is often very healthy, right? If you get a speeding ticket, maybe, how many people got a speeding ticket on their way to church this morning? Nobody speeds the church. They're like, yeah, we'll get there, the music's still going. But if you get a speeding ticket, you can have two different perspectives, right? You can say, that lousy copper, he's no good. Why didn't he just let me off? I'm sure he speeds all the time, blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, oh. Or you can say, you know what? Thank you for for that helpful reminder to slow down. You probably saved my life and the life of someone else. I mean, it's all a matter of perspective. Well, here... When Peter says the end of all things is near, he's imploring to us that we would have a change of perspective. Because sometimes people, Christians, will have a different perspective. They'll say things will never change. Their perspective is that, you know what, I'm just going to numb my heart. I'm going to numb my mind with the things of earth. I'm going to try to enjoy the days I have because... It's all meaningless. The best thing I can get from life is to have some fun, have some thrills, try to satisfy my heart's desires or my mind's curiosities, and that's all I have. I mean, we've all been in the position to where we just want something so bad, we're almost willing to compromise even that which is most important to us so that we can have that thing. Instead of saying things will never change, I'll just numb my heart and mind with the stuff of earth. Peter implores us, the end of all things is near. Fill your sails with the wind of heaven. Let God afresh motivate you and drive you and set the terms of your thinking, set the desires of your heart, set the days of your life. It's so easy to fall into just the stuff of earth, isn't it? Stuff of earth, that which is most important. I don't know if any of you have ever thrown a fit in your heart when one of your children gets treated unjustly. Have you ever had that experience? 
I mean, what's more personal than that when, when a teacher comes up and says, you know what, your, your boy's he, he's really not smart enough for kindergarten yet, right? <laughs> they have those tests. They're like, yeah, we don't think he's going to make it. Let's just hold him back a year. Be like, yeah, but he's already eight. <laughs> that ain't right. That didn't happen. But those deep things in our hearts, the things that we so think are the most important things in the world, these epic things that tear our hearts apart and, and make us twisted and contorted into people we're not supposed to be. Peter says the end of that is coming close. Set your sights on where your real home is. Set your heart on things above. Now I'm quoting Paul. But they all knew it. They said, this life, these light and momentary troubles are producing in you a glory that outshines them all. Don't trade it. Don't trade down to the stuff of earth. Let your heart open your sails to the winds of heaven. For these early Christians, many people around them, even the people closest to them, were feeling like Christianity was not only irrelevant, it was undesirable. Why would anyone live like that? Why would you want to do that? But Peter calls them to something else. And basically, his, his call is so simple. It's so simple. He says, listen, we're living in the last stage of the world. We're living in the end stage. You see, all has already been accomplished according to God's plan. For in creation and in the whole redemptive story, you look at all of the way God's acted in the New Testament and prophesied and foresaw, displayed his character and showed us what he's like. And he spoke of a day when there will be a redeemer. A Messiah, a Savior, someone who will make all things right. Sins will be forgiven. The kingdom of God will come, and he'll usher in a new reality for all who follow him. See, Jesus had come. He had declared his mission. He had lived his life. He had taught. He had healed. He had demonstrated victory over every spiritual, demonic force. He had shown his own victory over his desires and needs, whether hunger or acknowledgement or anything of his own identity. He knew who he was. He was the Father's Son doing the Father's will. And he was faithful all the way through it all. When he was celebrated and when he was persecuted, even as he was betrayed by a dear friend, hurt by one close to him. He suffered as a man, even to death, even to death on a cross. And when he had laid there in the grave, I loved how the phrase of that song, he borrowed a grave for three days. He borrowed it. He says, I'm not going to need this long. I just need to fulfill the words of the prophet. I need to demonstrate my victory and my power over death over sin because after three days you know what happened for he rose again full of life full of victory holding in his hands the keys to death holding in his hands forgiveness and righteousness for all that would come to have it Peter says these are the last days because all has been accomplished these days that we're living in now it's the final stage. It's the demonstration of his glory. It's the reality of the risen Christ in the people of God. Living through the stuff of earth with their hearts and their sails filled with the wind of heaven. Come on. Are not all things possible from a God who accomplished all this? Is not 
God able to lift your gaze from the things that frustrate you, from the persecutions of this world, from the things that just empty you of joy and lift your gaze and say, wait a second, this will all be over soon. This is just but a flash in the pan. Christ has demonstrated his victory over all things. He says, in light of this reality, in light of all that God has done, in light of the fact that these are the end times, Peter makes these simple claims. He says, therefore, let Christian behavior be as such. You cannot live these next four things unless your hearts are filled with the wind of heaven. If you're just stuck on the stuff of earth, it won't work. And so you got to let things go. You got to lay it all down. You got to surrender it to King Jesus. And say, Lord, for whatever I am or whatever I'm not, I'm yours. For whatever my family is or for whatever my family's not, it's all yours. For whatever my bank account or my job or my relationships may be or won't be, Lord, I give them all to you. They're here to serve but one purpose. And that one purpose is to play their end times role in the glory of King Jesus. And so if it's by my suffering or if it's by my advancement and my success, let all the glory be to Jesus. If I can serve you, Lord, in my failure, if I can serve you, Lord, in my success, God, be it all unto you. But let my heart be filled. Let my, let my thoughts be rooted in a different reality. The stress and the striving of earth is not meant for the people of the kingdom of heaven. You know, so much of what Peter wants to show and what I'm going to hit in a second here is this reality that the people of God, the people of God, is there anybody here who's the people of God? There's a couple. The people of God are, are meant to experience and create an alternative. I don't know, is there an alternative to the way in which people live life on planet Earth? Through the stress and the striving, through, the, through the, the shame and the blame, through the toil and tears? I, Peter says, yes, there's an alternative. And, and as such, as people who are experiencing the reality of the risen Christ in these end times, we're to create a new reality, an, an alternative community. People that live and function different. And bless them, he lays it out for us. And four easy steps. What does he say? He says, first of all, be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. I think that's so much, really, just what I've tried to describe. That if your mind is not sober or clear, but it's clouded and it's stuffed and it's distracted and it's filled with the stuff of earth, you'll not be able to pray. Shoot, if your mind and your heart and you're just overwhelmed with the stuff of earth and everything else is super important and so important and so overwhelming and oh my goodness, I gotta get my this and that and this and that and if that's the stuff that fills your heart and mind, you are so clouded and you are so blinded to the reality of Christ's victory, the love and the peace and the grace in which he offers and the freedom of heart and life that we're to walk in. And so to be sober and clear-minded so that you can pray is simply be able to break through the fog and say, Lord, I'm praying, I'm, I'm attaching myself, I am grabbing on to the realities of heaven in my life. And so while you might be like, well, Lord, I, I'm, I'm asking you for provision and finances, you know my bills, I need help. So much of being clear-minded and sober is saying and proclaiming, Lord, I know that your provision is real. It's not just the reality of our need, it's the reality of his provision. And you're living in a reality, calling down heaven into your heart, into your circumstances. Lord, you know my spouse, my son, my daughter, my friend, my relative, my neighbor. He doesn't know you. Lord, you know I'm praying for his salvation, but I pray now. Lord, I grab onto the winds of heaven, and I say, Lord, you do your work. You quicken faith in his heart. Amen. We're praying as if the reality of earth is not the end word. We're praying as if the reality of heaven, your kingdom come in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. 
But if you're overwhelmed by the stuff of earth, you'll never fill your heart with the wind of heaven. You're operating in a place of a new reality. I think we find prayer so exhausting and sometimes so forgettable because all we do in our prayers is regurgitate the stuff of earth. Maybe in your prayers, you can start proclaiming the winds of heaven. God knows your needs. The Lord knows the stuff of earth. But does your heart fill with the breath of heaven? With the moving of the Spirit? I wonder sometimes if in our prayers we we don't say, instead of spelling out all of our needs and telling God what we want, if we don't simply say, Lord, you know, my loved one is sick. You know I want to ask you to heal that person. But Lord, open my ears to hear what heaven's saying. Lord, what is it that your power wants to blow through and do? Because you heal a body, it'll die again. But if the agenda of heaven breaks through in the circumstance of a sickness and people's lives are transformed and changed, that is forever. Clear-minded and sober. You got to be able to see it. All right, the next verse says what? Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Why would he say that? I mean, isn't it just that we love who we love and we hate who we hate? Isn't love and hate just a reaction to the circumstances of this life? I mean, if you love someone, it's because there is an emotional connection, right? If you hate someone, it's based on an experience you've had that you feel justified to hate. Or maybe hate's too big. Let's just use resent. That can settle into a kind of a healthy form of bitterness. Peter says, no, come on. Love one another. Don't just love one another, but love one another deeply. The deeply loving people is is definitely something from heaven. It's not from earth. Because earthly love, we know this. It rises up and we feel great about someone else and then something happens and it just falls to pieces. We've all been a part of relationships that we thought we were in love or we thought we loved. But somehow something happened and that love was destroyed. I wonder what Paul said about love never failing from 1 Corinthians 13. Love never fails, he says, so confidently, as if that was everyone's experience. No, that's, that's a different kind of love than the earthly love. But Peter's saying, look, if you have this change of perspective... <laughs> if you no longer are simply functioning as an agent of earth, dealing with the stuff of earth, but if you are an alien, a sojourner, an exile, someone whose home and whose roots are not in this world, but someone whose home and whose roots are in heaven, are in eternity, where Christ has won the victory, where love has won the day, then you can love in a whole different way. Because it's not love based on your circumstances or what happens here or what happens there. You will find your heart, you will tap into, your heart will fill, your sails will fill with the love of heaven. And you'll be able to love in a way that you never could have before. Maybe you've never experienced that kind of love 
before. Maybe even the love of God who loved you while you were still a sinner, while you were still his enemies, while you were still nailing him to the cross. Maybe even that love, the love that knew no bounds, that in the midst of your cruelty and your snarky attitude of contempt, God loved you perfectly and profoundly and intimately and patiently. Oh, the breath and the depth of the love of God. Who can measure it? Listen, he loved you when you were a sinner and you came to Christ and you became a saint and you messed up all over again. And he loves you still. No less. He loves you no less than when you were a sinner to begin with. And he loves you no more than when you were perfect saint and all washed in the blood and baptized in the water, dressed up in your suit and sitting in the front of the church. He doesn't love you more or less based on what you do. His love was expressed before you did anything. While you were still in your mother's womb, God knew you and he loves you. Loved, loves, will love. And nothing will change that. Why is it? Because his love is rooted in the eternity of the love of God. He can be no other. It's one of God's most profound and prolific attributes. He cannot be other than who he is. When Moses at the burning bush said, who shall I tell the Israelites are sending me? God says, I am who I am. I will always be who I am. You can tell him the unchanging one who has never once turned his eye away or moved his affections off his people. The faithful one sending you and the faithful one is loving you. Whoever knew such a love? Even Romeo and Juliet, those two young lovers, did they know that kind of love? Maybe the most beautiful and profound love story. What about all those couples in Hollywood? Are they having those kind of, that kind of love? I don't read the tabloids, but I don't think you can keep up with the number of marriages that go on in Hollywood. Quite frankly, we can barely keep up with the number of marriages that come and go in our own lives. Because love based on the stuff of earth is destined to fail. But love rooted in the eternal heart of God God, if somehow we can experience that love and that love can flow through us. Even in our common relationships, even in our just basic friendships, can we love one another a little bit deeper? Can we be more of a heavenly friend than an earthly friend? Can we forgive just a little bit? I know the definition of a true friend. A true friend is one of those people that goes kind of round your back and says good things. That's a heavenly friend. An earthly friend is the kind of person that kind of goes around your back and says snarky things that make them look better and you a little bit, you know, questionable. Will we ever get to the place where we say faithful are the wounds of a friend? And that if a friend comes to me and he speaks to me and it wounds me, will I still believe that it's for my good and for my best? Will you hear from the wounds of a friend that loves you deeply enough to tell you the hard things that you need to hear? Hmm. love one another deeply for love covers a multitude of sins you know what I, I here's the thing I have a multitude of sins right I mean I need that kind of love I'm not pretending that I don't need to be loved in a way that covers my multitude of sins am I only preaching to myself right now you're all real quiet. Why is my hand the only hand in the air right now? Who has a multitude of sins they need covered by love? Yeah, some of you put both of them up. Come on. 
You can't love with the stuff of earth. Your heart needs to be filled with the winds of heaven. It's so easy to get that confused. It's so easy to settle. It's so easy not to be clear-minded and sober about that. Hey, this week, can you love someone who hurts you, please? Would you do that for me? Not for me, but for Peter. Well, not actually even for Peter, but for Jesus. Could you do it? Could you love someone who hurts you? Just cover over their multitude of sins with God's love. So I love you anyways. I still love you. You're a son of a gun, but I can't stop loving you. Number two, show hospitality without grumbling. I'm not sure I've always done this well because when people are coming over to our house, my wife will say, honey, I've done everything. Could you just vacuum the living room? I'm like, shut up from these people over here. <laughs> I don't see that. I say, yeah, bring them over. They don't care if the floor is dirty. That's what I say. <laughs> That's the difference between me and her. We're different. <laughs> Someone said amen. You know, hospitality, this thing of hospitality, I mean, I, I, in the most specific form, where back in the day of Peter's day, it, the inns, like the Ramada Inn, or the, are there still Ramada Inns? Anyways, the Fairfield the fair and the whatever, Holiday Inns, they were kind of seedy places. They were super unpleasant and gross. And they were a little bit dangerous. And so this culture, uh, hey, if there's people coming into town or passing through, help them out. Bring them into your home. Feed them, you know, and take care of them. Bless them on their way. Make them a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for the road. That kind of a thing. Show hospitality. Even if they're friends or people that you know very well, if they're a brother and sister in Christ or maybe even just someone, a relative that you want to share the love of God with, offer hospitality and don't fuss about it. Don't grumble or complain. It's really interesting because I think what Peter is doing here is he's helping us as the people of God live and demonstrate the reality of heaven, the alternate society. You know why? Because love and forgiveness was not a virtue in first century Greco-Roman world. It was an honor-shame. You had to get even with someone who wronged you. And hospitality was always to leverage your own status. And Paul is saying, or excuse me, Peter is saying, no, look, you have to demonstrate and you have to exemplify and give people just a little bit of taste of what heaven is like, the reality of the kingdom of God. Do that in your practical life. So love one another deeply and forgive each other, and forgive others. Forgive them. And secondly, welcome them. Be a welcoming people. Leverage what you have for the benefit of someone else, specifically your home. Think of that. Your home, your home exists, not just for shelter and warmth for yourself. It is a tool to leverage for the benefit of other people. Hospitality is thing in the greater sense. Hospitality is this thing. You're saying, what I, what I have, I'm going to leverage it for your good. So when you come over, I'm gonna, first of all, I'm going to invite you over into my stuff. I'm going to feed you my food. I'm going to tell you my jokes. I'm going to make my children look in the eye and say, hi, thanks for coming over, Mr. So-and-so. I'm not going to let my dog bite you. I am going to leverage what I have to bless you. And I want you to be really blessed. I want you to feel loved and embraced. That's what hospitality is. And we have all kinds of experience. We've experienced a lot of hospitality in our lives. People look after us. They pick us up from places and we stay in their homes. You know what? You haven't lived until you've had hospitality in some of the poorer nations of the world. We have been shown hospitality by people who have had nothing. I mean, just very, very little. Sustenance living. 
They don't have a freezer full of meat. They don't have like, you know, a bunch of really comfortable chairs and sofas and couches. It's not like it's first world Western standards. It's very primitive. It's very simple. And what they serve, what they have is very little. But you go in their home and you experience that love and you get people leveraging what they have to bless you and to honor you and to embrace you. Ladies and gentlemen, I would rather be there than in the Ritz-Carlton. I would rather be in the place where people love me and accept me and, and, and sacrificially give to me because they want to bless me than have a hot shower in a, you know, 2,000 thread sheets. Is that the right term? Did I do that right? There's something about loving one another inside of our homes. I, I want to ask you, no, no, not just forgive someone or love someone who hurt you this week. Bring someone into your home. I know, husbands, you're going to have to vacuum. That's what that means. Sorry. <laughs> just get your elbow ready. If you've got a sore shoulder, that's why God gave you two arms. Bring someone over. And I would say this. Bring someone over who's not like you. Have someone over who's not just like you. Not a known friend even. Maybe look across the room and say, hey, pastor told me I'd invite someone who wasn't like me. You're not like me. Will you come over for coffee this week? We'd love to get to know you. It's amazing how it creates a new community. When we're in each other's homes. When we're baking and cooking and vacuuming and and loving and caring for people. We had friends, I used to work with, with her, but when we went over to their house, you remember um, Kent and Deanna, they would never let anyone leave their house until they prayed for them. Remember that? You'd be like, okay, see you later, and they'd grab you. Say, wait, before you go. And they'd just grab onto you, and they'd pray a blessing over you. It's really sweet. Socially awkward, <laughs> but really sweet. Offer Hospitality. That's what we're doing today with Trunk and Treat, by the way. We're welcoming people to our home. We're inviting them in. We're blessing them. We're giving them candy. But more than that, we're leveraging what we have for the blessing and the benefit of others. The next one is this. Each one of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. I'm going to make this, this is my finish, big finish. Peter, Peter gives two categories of grace. And when he talks about God's gifts of grace, it's the charismata, right? Where the word charismatic comes from. And it's this idea of grace gifting. That God from heaven, through your natural life, but beyond that, through the power of the Holy Spirit, gives you grace giftings. And some of them are verbal. I'm functioning in a grace gift right now. It's a verbal gift. I'm prophesying. I'm proclaiming the word of God. I'm making it known. So to whatever extent it's successful or not, it's not my fault. It's God's gracious gift. I'm just stewarding it. I am taking the gift that God has given me. I didn't choose it. God chose me, and he grace gifted me. And one of the grace giftings I have is verbal. And it happens to be public. It doesn't have to be public. And so he says, if any of you speak out of a grace gifting, whether it's in front preaching to people, or whether you're, you're prophesying or praying over someone, or whether using a word of encouragement to your neighbor or to someone in the building, or whether you're, you're verbalizing a prayer of healing, whatever your grace gift has been, steward it. Which means don't waste it. Don't squander it. Use it. And if you're going to use it, you better be sure to use it in such a manner that when you open your mouth, it's not you speaking, it is God speaking. Why do I get louder when I pretend to be God? Hmm. I shouldn't, I should talk. Someone told me, you know what? Uh, the, the demons don't respond to volume, they respond to authority. I'm like, yeah, remember that, stop shouting. 
But we have to be convinced of that. First of all, that God has given each of us grace giftings. He's graced you. He's, he's charismated you. In the power of the Holy Spirit, God wants you to function. In its various forms. I love that little phrase, various forms. Which means there's a lot of different ways to do stuff. God made you unique and he made you wonderful. And he doesn't want you, he's not cloned anybody. There's no cloning in the kingdom. Everyone's got their own unique way and personality. God has faithfully and creatively and wonderfully made you. But he's also grace gifted you. So I say, hey, you know what? You want to create an alternate community that's different than the world? You keep your eyes there. You keep your hearts filled with the winds of heaven. You love people and forgive them. You welcome them and you're hospitable. And then whatever gift God's given you, whether it's verbal or nonverbal, if anyone serves, let him serve with strength that God provides. Not serving in your own strength, but let God give you strength. Let God give you the abilities and the, the, ability, to, the, 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 the ability to continue on even when you're tired. Perseverance. There's something in that, people of God, that we have to steward. And so you need to ask yourself, what is it that God has grace gifted me with? How, God, how have you grace gifted me? Is it a verbal one? Because if it's verbal, I want to speak with the very words of God. I pray that God raises up gifts of evangelism in our midst. It's a hard one. Not a lot of people have it. And the people that do have it are a little bit annoying to the people that don't have it. They make us very uncomfortable. Why you got to bring that up at the restaurant? We're just trying to eat here, right? Why, why you want <laughs> Anyways, they're just, it's just a strange breed. But you know what? I pray God raise up the evangelistic gifts. If God has given you the gift of evangelism, there's something in your heart that's burning to tell other people. Steward that gift. Whatever it looks like for you. Speak with the very words of God. Serve with the strength that God provides. There's way too many people in the church not speaking and not serving. I'm sorry, it's true. Even here, and this is a very healthy, good community, too many people are doing all the talking. Too many people are doing all the serving. Folks, let's create an alternate community where we're all using our charismata. We're all using the grace gifts because there'll be a day we give an account for what God's given us. One talent, five talents, 10 talents. And we want to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I, I, I took the grace giftings you've given me and I sought to be faithful stewards to give my best at it. And you know what's beautiful about that? Is when you give your best to God and you, you use your gift to the best of your ability, the ball's in God's court. We're called to be faithful. We're not called to be awesome. <laughs> We're just not. God doesn't need you to be awesome. He'll make you awesome. He'll do the awesome. He just wants you to be faithful. Step up. I know some of you are like, man, now I got to stay and help with those games today. <laughs> All right. I'm going to be done. Stand, if you will. I want to give just a, a benediction to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord. We're about to pray. We're about to pray through your word. And Lord, I ask that as we pray this word over this congregation, Holy Spirit, that you will quicken in the hearts of many. If not, Lord, you quicken the hearts of all. A rise of faith, a fresh obedience, a fresh joy and encouragement. God, that we would have a shift of perspective not to fill our lives with the stuff of earth, but that we would open our hearts, we'd open the sails of our boat, Lord, to catch the winds of heaven. We don't make the wind, you blow the wind. So blow the wind. But God, we open our hearts, we open our sails. And Lord, with the end of all things being near, help us to be alert. 
and sober-minded so that we can pray, so that we can tap into the winds of heaven. Lord, help us to love each other deeply because we know that love covers a multitude of sins. Help us to forgive even as we've been forgiven. God, help us to open our lives to people, to offer hospitality, not to grumble or resist it, but God, to joyful, joyfully offer what we have, even if it's humble, to others. Build a strong, connected, diverse community among us. Lord, help us to use our gifts, gifts that we've received. We know these gifts are not ours. We didn't create them. We didn't give them to ourselves. They're your gifts, but you gave them to us to use. So help us to use our gifts to serve others. Help us to be faithful, faithful to the grace you've given us in all of its variety. Lord, for those of us who speak, help us to speak as if we're speaking the very words of God. What a statement, Lord. What a boldness. God, that we would have that boldness. Prophesy the words of heaven through our lips. Speak the kindness and the grace of heaven through your people. Let our mouths, God, not be a tool of of destruction. But God, let let our words, God, be powerful. Even the words that you spoke at the beginning. God, speak those powerful, creative words through us that we might build one another up. God, we pray for the speaking and the tearing down of strongholds. Defeating the enemy with our confession, with our faith. God, if we're to serve, Lord, we pray that, Lord, you would help us to tap into your strength, that we would serve with the strength that you provide because you know you are Jehovah Jireh. You are the provider. Provide strength. We pray for strength, God. Even this morning, for those who are weak in strength, God, we pray the strength of God upon them as they serve their spouses or children, as they serve their neighborhoods or communities, as they serve their workplaces. God, as they serve the church and the kingdom, help them not to serve with their own feeble strength, but God, give them fresh strength from heaven. God, in all things be praised. In all things be praised through Jesus. God, to you be glory and power forever and ever. We all together said, Amen. Praise the Lord.